But it is all about Jesus. As you think about that this morning, I want you to, to, to think with me about certain milestones in life where we tend to ask the question, now what? Now what? When you graduate from high school or college or trade school or you have some kind of a transition in education and skill uh, and so you have graduated, sometimes there's this question, well now what? Sometimes when, when people get married, they put so much effort into the wedding. I try to, when, I, when I work with couples, I try to make sure that they understand that, that you know, the wedding is important, but the wedding is only a brief little blip in a lifetime of wedded bliss. But sometimes you just get the impression they put so much into the wedding that, that they, they go through that and suddenly they stand there looking at each other and it's like, now what? Sometimes when you have kids, <laughs> you're so glad when they're born and a couple of months later, mom and dad are looking at each other and it's like, now what? Sometimes you get a new job. And the excitement of the new job, and you get moved into your office, your cubicle, your workstation, or wherever you are, and suddenly there's this feeling over you, okay, I've got it, now what? I can remember going to, to churches as a guest, a first-time guest, or even as a staff member, or as a pastor, and getting there and getting situated, and all of a sudden, there's this, there's this heavy feeling on the heart, you know, now, now what? I've, I've seen people, when they get to retirement, they've been so looking forward to retirement. I, I've seen people count down from 10 years out, and retirement finally gets there, and about the third day, it's like, well, now what do I do? Now what? In the early days of the New Testament church, the question circulating around them, whether it was asked openly or not, was, now what? They, they, they had witnessed Jesus, especially the disciples. They had seen Jesus, His life. They had heard His teachings. They had seen Him go to the cross. They had seen the, the, the death, the burial. They had seen Jesus raised from the dead. They had heard the great commission that Jesus had given. Even in the first chapter of Acts, we find the, the phrase, you know, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus said, stay where you are because the Holy Spirit's coming. And so they stayed there. The Holy Spirit came down. They began to preach and speak in other languages. And 3,000 people responded to the gospel. Now what? <laughs> what are we going to do with all these people? Now, now what do we do? What is, what is next in this in, in this life of, of being a Christian. Well, this past Wednesday was See You at the Poll Day. I don't know if you know what that is or not, but students, a student movement, and it ha takes place in our elementary schools, our middle schools, and our high schools, and students are in challenging and encouraging each other to meet at the flagpole, see you at the pole on a designated Wednesday in September, and they gather around the flagpole and all they do is pray. That's been an awesome thing to see for years and years taking place in different churches I've been in, and especially here in the Durham area. This past Wednesday night, they've started, I think a couple of years now, some of the local churches around us of having a rally that night. So this past Wednesday night, there was a, a Durham area rally for See You at the Pole on Wednesday night at Northgate Theaters. And so I went. I wanted to be there. I wanted to see. And man, it was packed out. It was a great crowd. Lots of good things were happening. But I want to tell you about this young lady that came and gave her testimony. She's a, a sophomore at Person High School up in Roxborough, attends church up in the Roxborough area. And I think there's a picture of her on here. So, uh, so there she is. Her name is Natalie. 
And, uh, and Natalie, you see her picture, looks like a, an all-American girl, blonde hair, blue eyes, just, just a, a, a pretty girl, great personality. She had a great presence as she spoke. You would have thought that perhaps, if you didn't know better, uh, as she told her story, that she had just grown up in church and God had had His hand on her her whole life. But she told her story, and in a nutshell, her story went something like this. She was raised in a dysfunctional family with a single parent and multiple children from multiple dads, moving from place to place to place. And any, any reference to God, she was like, who is God and He sure doesn't care if He's even out there. Now what? Somebody said, I want you to go to church with me. Come to our youth group. And Natalie went to church. And Natalie met people who cared. Natalie was in an environment where people worshipped the Lord. Natalie came to know Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. And she was telling her story in front of a packed theater full of her peers. And she was telling them, this is what Jesus has done for me. Let me encourage you. Tell other people what He's done for you. What a great thing that was. Now what does she do? You may be here today. You may be asking that question about your own spiritual life. Now what? I've, you may say, I'm a believer. I'm a new believer. I've just come to Christ in recent days or months or even years. Or you may say, I've been a believer and a follower of Jesus for decades. But I'm at a place in my spiritual life, in my spiritual walk, where I'm asking the question, now what? Been there, done that, served here, done that, read this, gave that, changed this diaper in the nursery, everything else that you might want to put in there. But now what? What else is there out there, And if you're asking that question today, I want to tell you that it is a great question to ask. And it's always an appropriate question to ask, especially when we're asking the question of the Lord. Wherever we've been, whatever's gone on, wherever we happen to be, is to prayerfully look to God and say, Okay, Lord, now what do I do? Well, that question is answered for us in many places in the Bible, but one place in particular we're looking at this morning is in the second chapter of Acts. I'll ask you to turn there in your Bibles. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And, uh, and we're going to find that after the events of their conversion, after the giving of the Holy Spirit, the believers began a routine of discipleship. That phrase is important. I want you to remember it today. Routine of discipleship. Now the word routine... The word routine, just, it just sounds awful routine, doesn't it? There's not anything exciting about the word routine, is it? Right? Why is routine? Why is that word routine? Why is it not exciting? Because we've done it already, and now we're going to do it again, and it's the same old thing. We're just doing the same old thing over and over again, repetitiously. And if we're not careful, we can repetitiously do something to where we can do it without actually having to think about it. That's one of the dangers of being a longtime believer and follower of Christ is that we get so used to the Christian life and doing these things that we can do it without thinking about it. We can do it without praying about it. We can do it without depending on the Lord for it. So we're talking about today 
a routine of discipleship as a believer. Now, we're going to look at a couple of words here, and I want you to take note as we read the scripture here in just a moment. The first word I want you to notice is the word devoted. The word devoted. It means that you've given yourself to something. You, you've prioritized it. You've put it at the top of your list. It's not number, number 10 on your list or number 5. It's not even number 2. If you're devoted to something, you do that above everything else. You understand that, right? You are Men, you're devoted to your wives. Amen? Ooh. Women, you're devoted to your husbands, right? Amen. Yeah, okay. Be some discussions after church. But anyway, the word, de- the word devotion, the word devotion means that this is your top priority. Marriage is your top priority. It shouldn't be number five or number three or even number two. Marriage is your top priority of earthly relationships. And so devoted is important. You'll see that word in just a moment. But also you'll, you'll see the, the, the phrase day by day. When you do something day by day, that means you're doing something as a routine, as a habit, as a, as a repetition. So I want you to have those words, those phrases in your mind. And as we see these in the scripture, as we look at today at addressing the question as Christians, now what? We're going to talk about a routine of discipleship. Would you stand with me as we read together from God's word? Acts chapter 2, starting at verse number 42. And they... Now, they means the disciples, the followers of Jesus, the, 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 the people who had just come to Christ with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, as well as those who had been following Jesus throughout His ministry on earth. They devoted, there's our word, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, I want you to freeze that frame up on the screen, Bill, if you would. I want us to read that verse out loud together, then I'll continue with the verses that follow it. But here is our core verse for today as we think about a routine of discipleship that answers the question in our Christian life. Wherever you are with Jesus, this question is answered with this verse. Now what? Read it out loud with me. Ready? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It goes on to say this. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, there's another routine word, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, say it with me, day by day, those who were being saved. Day by day, devoted, routine. We begin to see this here in Acts. Let me give you a statement that just kind of came to my mind as, I, as I've been studying. I put it in your listening guide there. And it's this. We must have a routine of discipleship in order to move forward and find success as followers of Jesus Christ. We must have a routine of discipleship. If you do not have a routine of discipleship, which we're about to talk about, if that is not present in your life, you will find yourself sluggish in your faith, behind in your faith, challenged in your faith, not experiencing the victory in your faith, not feeling close to the Lord in your faith. If you don't have a routine of discipleship activities, you're not going to be the man or the woman that God has called us to be as we follow after Christ. The good news is that with a routine of discipleship, 
God can use us to change the world. And Lord, may it be so that the world continues to be changed by those into whose lives you pour your spirit because in faith in Jesus, we have developed routines of discipleship that will equip us, strengthen us, empower us to see you move in great and awesome and supernatural ways as we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, please be seated. So, again, this, this, is a, this is not just a routine sermon, right? Routine is our word of the day. This is not just a routine sermon, but, but I want to share with you this morning from this passage of Scripture five routines. Five routines of spiritual discipline that will encourage you and help you in our faith together. These are for us as a church, but also for each one of us individually. So the first routine I want you to notice there in verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So I don't know if the first routine is Bible study. Now this is not, or hopefully this is not a surprising thing to say in a Baptist church that we need to have a routine of Bible study. If this is a surprise to you, come see me after church. We'll talk about a few other things that may go along with that. But understand this, that if we're going to be the people God has called us to be, there must be a routine of discipleship that includes Bible study. Now think with me about the apostles, what are now the 11 apostles minus Judas. The 11 apostles had been with Jesus for about three years. They had heard His teaching. They had seen the miracles. They had been there with everything that had taken place. And so those three years with Jesus of watching and listening and learning. And they had seen Jesus die be buried, and be raised from the dead. And now it is their time to share with others. Because these people who had just trusted Christ as Savior were devoted, which means they had prioritized themselves to get before the apostles and to say, you say it, and we're going to do it. If you want to encourage a pastor and scare a pastor at the same time, then you just say this, Pastor, you preach it, and we're going to do it. Do you know how scary that is if you're a pastor? <laughs> that people will actually listen and then do the things that you're talking about from the Scriptures. You know what that does to me? To think that somebody might actually do that? It makes me say, Lord, help me to know what Your Word says. Help me not to mess up this opportunity. Because these people have said they're going to do what I say that they need to be doing. These people are coming to the apostles who had been floundering around and then doing the things that Christ had told them to do. But now Jesus is no longer physically present and they're now front and center. It's their turn. What did they have to work with? They had the Old Testament. The Scripture of the day. What we have in our Bible is the Old Testament. That was the Scripture that they had. And no doubt, they had heard it, they had read it, they had, they had heard it taught and preached. They, they, had, they had interacted with the Old Testament for, for generations and, and throughout all of their lives. They had the Old Testament. They also had Jesus' teaching. The times that Jesus had sat down in the synagogue and said, you know, turn to open the scroll of Isaiah. And it talks about all the things of the coming Messiah. And then Jesus said, today, this is fulfilled in your presence. 
that all the teachings of Jesus, when he, when he told the folks, sit down there by the, by, the, by the shore, and Jesus got in the boat, and He taught them from the boat, the time they were all scattered out there on the Mount of Beatitudes, and Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. They had, they had been there. They had heard those things. And so, so they had the Old Testament. They had Jesus teaching. They also had their own experiences with Jesus. Each one had the experience of being called out. Each one had the experience of trusting Christ. Each one had the experience of being involved in ministry. Each one had those, those three years of experiences built up, preparing them, even when they didn't realize it, preparing them for the moment when suddenly everybody's going to say, all right, guys, y'all tell us what to do. Now what? And they had the Holy Spirit. Don't discount the Holy Spirit. I've mentioned this already. We'll mention it all throughout the book of Acts. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no book of Acts. There, there is no church. There is no, there is no Pentecost. There is no, there is no great movement of God. It wasn't that these people were anything special. The, the Holy Spirit came upon them that made that activity special. And they were special only because of God's work in their lives and through their lives. And the same is true for you and I. So, so the disciples, think about this, they had the Old Testament, they had Jesus' teachings, they had their own experiences, they had the Holy Spirit, and they had an agreeable audience who said, we're devoted to doing the things that you tell us to do about Christ. Well, that was then. What do we have today? What do we have? Well, first of all, we have the Old Testament. It's still there, right? And we have Jesus' teachings, not that we've heard them from, from, our, from the lips of Jesus Himself, but they are written down in the pages of now the New Testament. So we have the Old Testament, and we have the New Testament, and guess what else we have, just like the apostles did? We have our experiences and testimony of how Jesus called us, each of us if you're a believer, how He called you to saving faith. That day of vacation Bible school, that night at the revival, that Sunday when you were in your Sunday school connect group, that time in your living room when, when the, the deacon came over or your Sunday school teacher was there. That time riding down the road with a, a, a youth worker and he's telling you about whatever it may be. You've got that experience in your life and you've got the experiences that you've had growing in your faith that now put you and I in a position to where people can come to us and we're prepared to share with them all that Christ has done in our lives. We encourage people to study the Bible. Let me give you a little definition of of church success, a little addition here. I went to Carolina, so it can't be too complicated. <laughs> church success, I, I can say it, I went there, right? I can say it. Personal success as a Christian and church success is simply this equation. Spirit-filled teaching poured into spirit-led lives. Spirit-led teaching, taking the Word of God, led by the Spirit, and pouring it into the lives of people who are led by the Spirit to soak it up, that's success. And when we're not seeing success, either personally or as a church, we have to go back to that very basic routine of what are we doing about Bible study. Let me ask you four questions this morning. The, the first question is this, what am I reading in Scripture? What am I currently reading in Scripture? What, what are you doing right now to interact with the Word of God? Is, is there a personal Bible reading plan that you have? And, and as you would just open the Bible and begin to read a passage here, a passage there, then you ask some questions of the Scripture. What does the Scripture say? What does the Scripture mean? 
How does this scripture apply to my life? What needs to, to happen in my life? And what do I now need to do? Do you have a devotion plan? Do you read a little devotional book? I stopped by the, the crossings out there this morning. I picked up our daily bread. And we, we order hundreds of these every month or two. And uh, uh, this one's for uh, three months. Every three months we order hundreds of these out in the, in the crossings area. And if, you're, if you need some assistance or want some, want some encouragement of how to have a time to read and study the Bible, just one, one page in this little book every day. And it gives you a Bible passage to read. It gives you some words of wisdom. It gives you something to pray about. So, so, so the first question, what am I reading in Scripture? How am I going about that? There's, there, there's the, the daily bread. There's, there's a, a, a program that my wife Pam is involved with uh, every day. It's on the computer. And it's called She Reads Truth. I don't know if any of you ladies are, are aware of that or not. She Reads Truth. Every day she reads truth in, in, the, in the scriptures. And, and there's a devotion plan that goes with it. That, that, that might be a good one if, if you're a lady. There's a, another one that I do often. I'm doing right now. It's the One Year Bible. So that over the course of the year, uh, this year, I'm going to be reading through all the whole Bible as a whole in, in, uh, in, in pieces that put it in chronological order that help me to better understand the scripture. You might say, well, well, Pastor Mark, haven't you ever read the Bible before? Yes. Well, listen, I went to Carolina. I can't remember the whole thing all the time. And I don't care where you went to school. You can't remember the whole thing the whole time. We have to read it and reread it. There's other resources out there. There's your Sunday School Connect group. Why? At Ridgecrest, we really promote our Sunday School Connect groups. Why? Because it is in our Sunday School Connect groups. One of our three purposes of our Connect groups is this. Connect to God through the teaching of His Word. And so you read the Bible. You come to a Connect group. You come to a worship service. What are you reading in the Bible? Second question is this. To whose teachings am I devoted? We're all devoted to the teaching of someone. To whose teachings are you devoted? Is it a pastor? Is it a connect group leader? Is, is, it a, uh, uh, is it a podcast you hear online? Is it a, the author of a book? Is it a professor at school? Is it a philosopher of some sort? Is it a celebrity? Whoever it might be, we're all devoted to the teaching and following of someone. So the question for each of us is, to whose teachings am I devoted? We're called to be devoted to the teachings of God's Word, the Bible. The third question is this. How is my life changing to reflect Jesus? Because of Bible study. If all we do is read it and we check off the box that we've read it for the day, it's better than not reading it, but not much. How is my life changing to reflect Jesus? And then fourthly, into whose life am I investing the gospel? Aren't you thankful somebody invested their life in yours for the gospel? Whose life can I invest my life for the gospel? You may say, well, I don't, don't know anybody. Maybe that's because you're not looking for somebody. If you will prayerfully ask the Lord to show you somebody into whose life you can share the gospel, you may be amazed at the door that God opens up. And you may say, well, why would it be that person? They don't, they don't care anything about God. Bingo. <laughs> Routine number two, fellowship. Fellowship. Notice in verse 42 of Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. The fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. The word fellowship, quantania, the coming together. It means being together. It means living life together. It means investing yourself in, into somebody else's life. And there's two aspects I want to point out to you. One is, is devoting yourself to the people of the fellowship. That's the members of your church. 
devoting yourself to connecting with and the well-being and the encouraging of the people in the fellowship to which God has placed you. There's a great danger in the culture and the world in which we live today, and that is that people are scattering. And coming together is so hard to do. So hard to do. A study a generation ago asked this question, are you active in your church? If the answer was no, they didn't worry about them. If they said yes, they said, how often do you attend your church? And the answer was, a generation ago, two or three times a week. They asked the question recently, are you active in your church? If they said no, they didn't worry about it. If they said yes, they said, how often do you attend church? Two to three times. Not per week, per month. And so what, and what we see is, is studies are showing that we're getting so busy because of technology, because of transportation, because of alternate activities to participate in, that, that, that even attending church, much less investing in the lives of others in our church, is on the vast decline, which is, a, which is, which is hurting the growth and blessing and fellowship of believers in the church. But clearly the scripture points out that we are to devote ourselves to the people of the fellowship in which we're a part. In the New Testament, there's, there's what's called one another verses. You ever heard of these? There are 57 different verses in the New Testament where it uses the phrase one another or each other. And those 57 different verses spread throughout the New Testament are telling and encouraging believers of how we're to treat each other. And these verses say things like, love one another, share with one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens. All these wonderful verses. Well, guess what? If we're not there, we can't do it. And I'm not fussing this morning. I'm pointing out what is a nationwide, uh, what is a nationwide direction that the church is going in and calling us back. Because remember, what we're talking about today are routines of discipleship that when we get into the routine, it helps our discipleship to flourish. When we're not in that routine, it keeps us at least a step away from being where God wants us to be so that we can experience the best that God has for us. So, so there's, a, there, there's, there's being uh, devoted to the people of the fellowship, but also to the act of fellowship. The act of fellowship. Verse 46, it says, they were breaking bread in their homes. In verse 42, they were devoted to the fellowship. Verse 46, it expounds on it, and really in smaller groups of, of, of uh, breaking bread in their homes. Notice that phrase, they were opening their homes to one another. Now, now listen, uh, Pam and I are, have been blessed. We prayed that God would provide for us a, 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 live, a house to where we could have and host people from the church to come over, and God has blessed us in that way. But we can't have everybody at one time. Amen. So don't get together and say, let's go see the preacher. <laughs> we can't have everybody at one time. So to meet in, in our home, it's got to be in smaller groups. To meet in your home, it's got to be in smaller groups. To, 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 to meet in a home, what does it say when you have somebody come to your home? It says you're opening up not just a house, a building, you're opening up your life. There's pictures on the wall. There's trinkets sitting around. 
If I were to go into your house, just like if you were to come into my house, we could walk around each other's house and say, oh, tell me about, about this on the wall. And we might say, oh, that reminds me of that time we were at the beach and this happened, that happened. Well, what is this over here? Well, that was from Mother's Day back in 1949. This happened over here. And you know, we could point out all these different things. Who are those folks in that picture? Well, here's my great-granddaddy, my great-grandmama, my great-grandchild, and my cousin Bertha, and everybody else in between. We could just, all these things. Why? We're opening up who we are. We're investing ourselves in each other's lives. We're getting to know one another at a deeper level, and that's what God has in store for us. And that's why, again, it's so important in our connect groups. We say three things about our connect groups. One is connect to God. That's Bible study. Secondly is connect to others, fellowshipping. Fellowshipping is such an important thing in our spiritual lives and so neglected by the necessities of our day and the busyness that we have. But notice down in verse 45, notice how caring they were towards one another. Speaking of one another verses. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any has need. Now, this is the picture that we often get here is that people went out and sold everything they had. They pulled their money and lived, like, lived in a commune of some kind. That's not the picture here. The picture here is that the church came together and as needs were identified, people would meet each other's needs. And sometimes that meant giving money. Sometimes it meant selling a, a piece of land. Sometimes it meant whatever it took. Those that had means were willing to, to do something with those means in order to meet the needs of somebody else because we're all in the family of God together and we're called to fellowship and love and care for one another. You can't do that if you're not connected in the way that the Bible speaks about. So fellowship is another of those routines. Thirdly is the routine of worship. The routine of worship. I hope you love worship. I hope that you love worship. I love worship on Sunday mornings. But if that's all the worship that I participate in, I'm missing so much more. Verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. That breaking of bread phrase was often used in the days of the New Testament church to, to indicate what we would call communion or the Lord's Supper, the breaking of of bread. Here in just a few weeks, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper or communion in our worship services on a Sunday morning. We're looking forward to that. But, but when, you, when you participate in communion, this breaking of the bread, you remember that Jesus said, this bread is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I've done for you as you take this bread. And he says, this cup, the wine, or, or as good Baptists say, the juice, uh, we take the fruit of the vine and we take, the, the, we take that and, and we're reminded of Jesus' words. This is the blood of the new covenant given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we're reminded through the Lord's Supper to remember what Christ has done. The Lord's Supper gets us in touch with the core of our faith, which is the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And there's some churches and traditions that, that have that every single Sunday. I love the thoughts of that, but I, but I hear people talk about it in such a flippant, routine way that it's lost its meaning. But we have to be careful that we do it on a regular basis and that we stay in touch with the death and burial and resurrection, the core of our faith in worship. But also notice there's corporate worship. Verse 46 says, they attended the temple together. They attended together. They, 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 they met each other in the parking lot. They, they walked in together after parking their chariots and, and they put the kids in the nursery and they, they, they made their way up to the temple and there they worshiped. This past Wednesday night, I mentioned to you, I went to Northgate Theater with the, the youth group and uh, the, the place was packed out. There's a picture I took from over at the side. Our youth, our, the Ridgecrest Baptist Youth Praise Team led worship. Isn't that awesome? 
That's them up on the stage right there. And so, so that was exciting to see. The Natalie, the little girl I showed you, she gave her testimony. A pastor from another church gave, gave the message. And, and, and we met there in the theater. And that reminded me that oftentimes worship has been uh, associated and illustrated by using terms of a theater. Going to worship is like going to the theater. And, and that's absolutely true, but we tend to get it wrong in, in who each person is. For example, we tend to think that, that, that worship is like a theater in this regard, that the pastor is, is the actor on the stage giving out his lines, that the Holy Spirit is the prompter for the pastor, that through the Bible and through the Holy Spirit, the pastor speaks his lines, and the audience is the congregation. That's what we might tend to think about with worship as theater, but that's completely wrong. It's completely wrong. Worship as theater is this. The pastor is the prompter, prompting the actor on the stage, which is the congregation. To do things for the, for the joy of the audience who is God. That'll change your worship. You, do, you know, do you know what we do? Can, I just, can we just be honest? Can I be honest this morning? Is that okay? Do you know what we do in worship? And we all do it, so you know, we don't, don't beat ourselves up about it. We all tend to think, especially when we're not walking as close to the Lord as we should be, we all tend to think that worship is about me. I went to worship, and I just love that song they sang. I went to worship... I can't believe they sang that song today. I went to worship over here, and I can't believe they started early and made us stay late. I went to worship over here, and they read the Bible, but I didn't like that translation. I didn't like this. I love that. If we're not careful, and I'm, I know I'm walking on thin ice. Rodney, get me some boxes. I might have to pack up the office this afternoon. But listen, we all tend to do that when we don't keep the focus where it needs to be on the Lord. Because when the focus is on the Lord, listen, give me two drumsticks and a cardboard box and we'll worship the Lord. When the focus is on the Lord, we can meet under a tree at 7 o'clock in the morning. When the focus is on the Lord, it doesn't matter what the dress code is. It doesn't matter what the song choice is. It doesn't matter the style of this or that or the other. All that matters is we've come together to worship God. So worship was important. Is worship about me or is worship about he? Fourth routine is prayer. Now, the, the, the ongoing, ongoing joke among pastors is this. If you want to clear the room out, just call for prayer. You want to have, a, you want to have as few people as possible show up for church, call a prayer meeting. A poll of people's personal prayer indicates that people admit to praying for less than two minutes a day. That it's not a routine and it's not a priority. In verse 42 of Acts 2, it says they devoted themselves to the prayers. To the prayers. Two types of prayers that I'll point out today. There's many others, of course, but, but two types I'll point out today. That is that prayer includes public prayers as a part of worship. Something I've become convicted about is leading and giving examples of praying as a part of our worship service. You may say, well, Pastor Mark, we pray in every worship service. And we do. We pray at the beginning. We pray at the offering. We pray at the end. We, we pray. And, and not that what we're doing is wrong, but, but I've been convicted more and more that as a part of what we do as worship, we need to really laser focus on some areas of prayer in ways that we're not currently doing. 
public prayers in worship. Acts, that we're going to, as we work our way through Acts, we're going to find several powerful prayer meetings. I can't wait to get there. Those people, you know what they did? They prayed. You know what God did? He delivered. You know what happened? It was a great testimony. Right now on Wednesday nights, uh, for a while, we've got a little ways to go. We're working our way through the Lord's Prayer in, in Matthew chapter 6. Public prayers are important in our worship. And as one who offers public prayers in worship, I will tell you that the temptation is to be casual about those prayers. And I've had some conviction about that, and I want to do a better job for my Lord in leading people in public prayers. A book I've been reading by Andrew Murray about, about our prayer life from 1912 when he wrote, it was discovered that the low spiritual state of the church could be traced back to prayerlessness among the people. And we think about routine, we think about something we do ongoingly, but we're not praying ongoingly. And that's such an important part. So, so prayer includes public prayers, but it also includes private prayers as part of our devotional life. We read the Bible, and then hopefully we have a time of prayer. And, and somebody has taken the book of Acts, A-C-T-S, and they've made an acrostic for an outline of how we can say our prayers. There are many different ways to pray, of course, but using the Acts model of prayer goes something like this. A is for adoration. Begin your time of prayer by adoring and worshiping and celebrating who God is. Adoration. Secondly, C is confession. Spend some time confessing sin. It, it's amazing how we can simply say, Lord, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. Yes, that's true. It's amazing the more you stop and, and, just, and just pause, the more things will just start rumbling off your tongue. Lord, this and that and this and that. Confession. T is thanksgiving. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving. Thanking God for the blessings He's poured out upon us. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. We miss so many blessings because we don't stop and thank the Lord and allow Him to remind us of all that He's done for us. And then S is supplication. That's a, simply a religious word that means pray for somebody else. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Now, Rodney, get my boxes ready. I'm fixing to say something too. So often in our church prayers... Our prayer times turn into organ recitals. We pray for this liver, those kidneys, this heart. Should we pray for those things? Yes. But we do so often at the expense of the adoration and the confession and the thanksgiving. God help us to pray. Then fifthly, the fifth routine is this. Are you ready? Repeat. Repeat. We've just worked our way through Bible study and fellowship and worship and prayer. Now do it again. And when you get up tomorrow, do it again. And when you get up the next day, do it again. And the next time Sunday rolls around, do it again. Every single day, do it again. I want to, uh, all too short a time here, but I want, I want to point out to you that the book of Acts is not looking to make converts and simply count the number of people saved and baptized. As awesome as that is, the book of Acts is showing us not how to make converts, but how to make disciples. How do we make disciples? By the routines of spiritual discipline repeated over and over again. 
Acts 2.42, they were devoted. Acts 2.46, they worship and fellowship day by day. Acts 2.47, day by day the Lord added to the church those who were being saved. Successful Christians are not content to live life as usual. Successful Christians are, are determined to live life on mission. Throughout the book of Acts, we see that they met daily, Acts 2.46. They cared daily, Acts 6, verse 1. They won souls daily, Acts 2, verse 47. They searched the Scriptures daily, Acts 17.11. They increased in numbers daily, Acts 16 and verse 5. What you see here is the outgrowth of the devotion to carrying out and doing these things repetitiously that will lead to success in the Christian life personally and as a church. And so often what happens is these things either become routine so we do it without thinking about it or focusing on the Lord or they're so routine that we start neglecting them more and more because uh, we've been there and we've done that. I've read part of the Bible. I've prayed. I went to that fellowship. When was that? Five years ago I was there. Let's look at the results of a routine Christian life all too briefly. Verse 43, there was awe. King James Version uses the word fear. And both of those words in English are accurate. It means a, a reverence, a, a, a literal afraidness, a standing in awe of what God is doing. They were praising God. Verse 47, there was favor with the people. Also in verse 47, in verse 43, another one of the results were wonders and signs being performed. Miracles were taking place. We're not told exactly what they were, but, but we know about tongues and we know about healing. We know that they were they most likely, scholars believe, were temporary to that generation, uh, but they have also taken place sporadically, periodically throughout history. God still moves in wonders and signs. Verse 44, we see the church had a great unity. You put a bunch of Christians together in unity and the world cannot stand. Why is there so much disunity in churches? Among churches, in churches, everywhere. It just seems like there's such a disunity. And then salvation is a result of a routine practice of discipleship. Verse 47, the Lord added to their number. I'll never forget growing up in a home where I was told, I say this all the time, I'll say it again today. I was brought up in a home where I was told about church, all they want is your money. All they want is your money. But my experience was in going to church, they didn't want my money. They wanted to give me what they had. They wanted to give me Jesus. Now, I'm going to get to heaven. I don't know who it's going to be, but some of those folks at Guest Road Baptist Church are going to come up to me or somebody's going to point them out and say, that's the lady that was praying for you. When you were making your way in, running your mouth and acting like a wild child and they were having to call you down, they were praying for you. Not that God would move you out, but that God would change your heart. And guess what he did? The New American Commentary speaking about the New Testament church says this. Their common life was marked by praise of God, joy in the faith, and sincerity of heart. And in it all, they experienced the favor of the non-believers and continual blessings of God-given growth. Luke presents an ideal for the Christian community, which it must always, there's our routine, always strive for, constantly return to, there's routine again, and discover anew, there's routine again, if it is to have that unity of spirit and purpose essential for an effective witness. Do we want to have an effective witness? Do we want to have an effective witness? Do we want to be the church God has called us to be? Do we want to experience all that God has for, in store for us? Do we want to reach out and share it with our friends, neighbors, co-workers, and our community around us? I hope we do. Because if we do, it is all possible when we follow the routines of discipleship. It may seem so mundane, but when paralleled and put together 
result in God working and moving in and through us in our midst. I asked a question to some folks this week. What's the best way to motivate a routine? What's the best way to motivate for a routine? Some of the answers I got were this. Give consequences to yourself, good or bad. If you do the things you should do, if you read your Bible and pray and fellowship and, and go to church, if, if you do those things, then take yourself out to eat. Okay, that might work. Or, if you don't do those things, don't eat supper. Amen. Obviously, I've been reading my Bible. <laughs> Find an accountability partner, somebody you trust that you can call them and they can call you and they have permission to ask you, have you been reading your Bible? Have you been praying? Have you been in church? Are you, are you caring for other believers? Somebody else said, make a list. You know, check things off your list. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm a list maker, and i got to check things off. I feel so good when I check everything off. And if I get to the end of the day, and I haven't checked something off, and it's too late to do something about it, I feel so bad. So make a list. And then simply force yourself to do it. Like taking medicine. You don't like it. It doesn't taste good, but you do it anyway. And over time, you'll start feeling better. And you'll start being stronger. And you'll start returning to health, spiritual health. Let me invite you to stand with me if you would this morning. I hope that what I've shared with you has been a reminder. I, ho I hope that what I've shared with you has been an encouragement. I hope that what I've shared with you ha has been something the Holy Spirit can use to kind of re-energize some fires that maybe have been there, that maybe have waned a little bit. I hope that, that what's been shared today can, 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 can help us to realize that this success in our Christian life, like they say, is not rocket science. It's just real easily following a routine of discipleship that over time will have wonderful, wonderful benefits. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Would you right now just be willing to pray to the Lord and say, Lord, help me know now what? Now what do I need to do concerning reading the Bible? Lord, now what do I need to do concerning my prayer life? Lord, now what do I need to do concerning caring for other believers? Lord, now what do I need to do concerning worship, corporate and private? And Lord, when you give me the answer, help me to be devoted to carrying it out for your glory in Jesus' name. But let's pray together, then we'll sing and then you respond. Lord, thank you for listening ears this morning. Thank you for encouraging word from Scripture. And I pray that through following a simple routine, we might see the life change that comes by the Holy Spirit of God as you pour out yourself into us as we devote ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.